Corinthians there for us to have. And to the Corinthians, he writes that there are examples for us there to either follow or to avoid. And today we're going to look at an example that we should probably follow. An example by a young woman who acts quickly and humbly and prevents a very serious sin from taking place. We're going to talk about the young lady named Abigail in chapter 25 of 1 Samuel. To give you some background, this is the time when David has fled into the wilderness. Instead of attacking Saul, he decides to flee into the wilderness. In this section of the wilderness that he is in, there's a certain rich man who has a very large herd that David is guarding. So if you will, we'll begin reading in verse 2. It says, Now there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. But the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb. When David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel. Go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, Peace be to you. Peace to your house and peace to all that you have. Now I've heard that you have shearers. Your shepherds were with us. And we did not hurt them, nor was there anything missing from them all while they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son, David. So we see here that David has protected this man's herds and his shepherds. He has about 600 men protecting this man's herds and shepherds. How many farmers would love to have basically an army protecting their, their herds and their shepherds? I bet you took a poll, about 100% of them say yes, absolutely. So David has sent his young men to this man to ask for some provisions. Sounds reasonable, doesn't it? I want you to look at Nabal's response. Pick up in verse 9. So when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all those words in the name of David and waited. Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away each from his own master. Shall I then take my bread, my water, and my meat that I have killed from my shearers and give it to men when I do not know where they are from? Who is this guy demanding stuff from me? Why should I do anything for this guy? Why, why, why do I even care? Look at the arrogance and the indifference that Nabal has towards somebody who has done a very good thing for him. Go back and read verse 3 again about Nabal. He is harsh and evil in his doings. David has sent ten young men to ask for some provisions. Sounds pretty reasonable, Right? Your whole herd's been protected. Your shepherds have been protected. This isn't much to ask for. You're feasting. You're happy. You're doing well. Nabal's response, though, 
is insulting. It's almost evil. It seems though he does know who David is. He implies the servant who has left his master. He, he kind of knows who he is. He's in, he knows who David is. He's heard of him. But he didn't even check with his servants either when David's young men come to, comes to him. Hey, is this true? Is this really happening? Did David and them protect us? Protect our herds? No, he immediately goes to the harsh and evil way. Almost foolish. Fittingly enough, the name Nabal means behaving badly or behaving foolishly. It's a fitting name so far, isn't it? Just from what we can see here. So, look at verse 12. So David's young men turned on their heels and went back. And they came and told David all these words. And then David said to his men, Every man gird on his sword. So every man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went with David, and 200 stayed with the supplies. Now, now knowing David, putting on your sword isn't just for show. There's probably going to be some actions behind this. He, he has told his men to get ready for destruction. Put on your sword. We're, we're, we're going to go cause some harm. He is angry because he's been insulted. He has done well for this man, and now he's been insulted. But look what's going on back at Nabal's house. Pick up verse 14. Now one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. But the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them when we were in the fields. They were a wall to us both night and day. All the time we were with them keeping sheep. Now, therefore, know and consider what you will do. For harm is determined against our master and against all his household. For he is such a scoundrel that one cannot speak to him. This is, this is one of Nabal's very own servants. Say, hey, you know how our master is. Can't nobody tell him nothing. Nobody can tell him anything. We've, we've all been guilty of that, right? Being, being a little hard-headed, can't be told nothing. Carrie's shaking her head at me. Yes, you have. But he is known by this by everyone, it seems. He's a scoundrel. He, he reviled these men. And this guy's confirming what David said. Yeah, these people protected us. Did they have to? They could have easily just took in the shoot, killed the men there, been done with it. But they protected them. Think about the contrast here between Abigail and Abal once again. She is good understanding and beautiful of her parents. And he was harsh and evil in his doings. Look at her actions as we go through this. This is what we're going to look at today. It's her actions from this point on. Pick up in verse 18. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five seas of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, 200 cakes of figs, 
and loaded them on donkeys. And she said to her servants, Go on before me. See, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. So her servant has come to her and told her what's about to happen. Hey, harm's coming. Bad things are about to happen to us. What does she do? Oh, she sits around and she waits, right? She waits for the trouble to come. Isn't that what we read? No. She gets up. She makes haste. She's, she's like, hey, we've got, we got to handle this now. We can't wait for this to come to our door. We, we've got to fix this. We have done wrong, and we've, we've got to go fix this. And she doesn't make a little gift. This is a quite a substantial gift. She didn't sit and be anxious about her problems. She sat and started acting on her problems to how to fix them. She didn't wait for David to come to her. She goes to him. How about us? What about us? When we see a brother or sister in anger, do we go to them? Do we try to stop them? Or how about when we know they're about to commit sin? Do we go to them? Do we try to stop them? This, this is what's about to happen here. David's about to commit some serious sins. He's very angry. Think about Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26, but Paul writes to them. That's Ephesians 4 and verse 26. It says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Don't let anger fester, whether it's yours or someone else's. If you know someone's angry about something, go to them. Don't let it continue to grow. Think about what Jesus says in Matthew 5. If you have something against your brother and you're at the altar, leave it. Look at this. So, that's Matthew 5 and verse 23. Beginning there. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you will be put in prison. If you ask me, this is exactly what Abigail is doing. She isn't waiting. She isn't waiting for the accused to come to or the accuser to come to her. She's going directly to him. Hey, he's got something against us. We need to go to resolve this. We need to handle this. She's not waiting for David's anger to grow worse. She's trying to go appease it and get it over with. Continuing our story, let's pick up at verse twenty. So it was, as she rode the donkey, that she went down under the cover of the hill, and there were David and his men coming down toward her. And she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain I have protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him. And he has repaid me evil for good. May God do so, and more also, to the enemies of David, if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. That, that doesn't sound like somebody who's calm, does it? It sounds like someone who is very angry. And very upset. Notice Abigail's next action in verse 23. Now when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David, and bowed down to the ground. She bowed down to the ground. What is, what is that showing you here when we see that position from someone? If someone bows before you, what are they doing? They're humbling themselves. Right? She's being 
humble here. She has humbled herself before David. Too many of us these days would rather argue. Well, you know, we shouldn't have done that, blah, blah, blah. You're not really right. No, she's humbling herself. They just want to argue that they're right sometimes. Look at what the proverb writer writes about that. Look at Proverbs chapter 25 and 28, in verse 28. It says, Do not hastily go into court, for what will you do at the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? Don't hastily go and argue. Don't hastily go to court. Be reconciled quickly. Later, the proverb writer also compares anger being released like a a dam being released. Look at Proverbs 17 and verse 14. The beginning of strife is like the letting out of water, so quit before quarrel breaks out. Have you ever seen the dam water be released? Once it gets going, it just goes and goes and goes and goes. It's very hard to stop once it's been released. Once the dam goes, it's over. Think about how anger can be. Have you ever been so angry you said something you knew you shouldn't have said or done something that you knew you shouldn't have done, but it's out there now? And as much as you want to bottle it back up, you can't? Same thing. Look what the proverb writer also writes in, in, verse, in chapter 20, in verse 3. And, it, and it's especially fitting for this account that we're reading about. It is an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife, but every fool will be quarreling. Sounds like Nabal there, won't it? He wants to start a quarrel. He wants to be right all the time. He's very arrogant almost. It's very fitting for this account. But here's the opposite of what that person should be doing. Look at Proverbs 6. And we're beginning at verse 2. It says, If you are ensnared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep, your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself. Like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, and like the bird from the hand of the fowler. The proverb writer here says, don't go to sleep when you know there's a quarrel coming. Don't give any rest. Go and fix it. Don't wait for it to get worse. Go be humble. Plead your case humbly. Is, is that what Abigail's doing? Because I think she is. She's definitely fitting to plead with David, and she's already humbled herself before him. Let's pick up in verse 24 back in 1 Samuel. Notice what she does next. So she fell at his feet and said, On me, my Lord. On me let this iniquity be. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. We're going to stop right there for a second. Has Abigail done anything wrong so far? Have we, have we seen her do anything wrong? No. But what is she doing? She's taking the blame. She's taking the blame for Nabal and what he has done. Hey, on me. Whatever's happened, blame it on me. But I'm here to fix it now. Right? Let this iniquity be on me. Is, is that what you're encouraged to do now in society? 
to take blame for someone else? No, you're, you're encouraged to shuck the blame, right? There are funny movies all the time about how someone got out of the blame. It's encouraged. No one wants to be blamed for anything anymore. We're like kids. Not me did it. One of my favorite comic books ever was Family Circus. And there was a Sunday morning cartoon where the two kids were talking to mom and dad, and they go in different rooms, and one room the vase is broke, another room the TV's broke, and another room there's liquids everywhere. And they ask the kids, well, who did it? And they both in unison go, not me. And behind them is a little invisible boy with a T-shirt that says, not me. How easy it would have been for those little kids to just take the blame and face the punishment. I did it, Mommy. I did it, Daddy. But that's not what we see. Not me did it. How often has that been said in a house with kids? Not me. Continue on, picking up verse 25. Please let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal. For as his name is, so he is. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held back nothing from you, coming from bloodshed and beginning avenging yourself with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. She once again references back to his name, or what his name means and how he's acted. She calls him a scoundrel to David. This man does not have a very good reputation, it seems. Think about also, we talked about that blame earlier. We talked about she was taking blame for Nabal. Think about Christ. Christ took the blame for us. Look at Isaiah 53 and verse 5. And I'm sure a lot of us in this room can probably quote this verse. But let's just remind ourselves of why Christ came. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. It was for our wrongdoings. It's for our punishment, our sins. He took the blame. We need to be mindful of being like Christ sometimes. But sometimes we have to take the blame. And notice in this passage we just read in 1 Samuel, that she pointed out that her presence was the Lord's hand at work. It was to keep David from sinning. Was David about to sin? Absolutely he was. He was about to destroy a man's whole house. He was about to kill that man and all of his servants. David was a little guilty of what James wants us not to be. Look at James chapter 1 and verses 19 and 20. <clears throat> know this, my beloved brethren. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Was what David about to do, was that going to produce the righteousness of God? Going and murdering Nabal? Murdering all those men who he already protected? Was that going to produce righteousness? Was that going to be the way that we should be? Nabal was definitely rude. Definitely harsh. And maybe a little ignorant of the situation. But does that deserve death? 
Does those words that he said deserve death? And what about those innocent men who had nothing to do with it? Did they deserve death? Did they deserve to be murdered? And at times, as Abigail is doing here, we have to have our sins pointed out to us. Look at what Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, starting in verse 2. It says, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. That word rebuke is go to someone. Tell them what they're doing is wrong. Go and tell them to change their ways. That is our job as Christians sometimes. It is not a very easy job. It is not a a joyful job to do sometimes. But we have to do it. As Abigail is doing here with David. Let's pick up in verse 27. And now this my present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord flight, fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days. Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life, but the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God, and the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. And it shall come to pass, when the Lord has done for my Lord, according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you, and has appointed you rule over Israel, that this will be no grief to you, nor offense of heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause, or that my Lord avenges himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. You know what the Lord has promised you, David. You know that God has done well for you. You know that one day you will be king. Don't let these words become worse. Don't let the sin grow. Don't have to look back on a day like this and remember what you've done and remember how harshly you acted. Be mindful of this. We don't want people to be laying around and thinking about how late it was to avoid sin. Look what the, what the proverb writer writes in Proverbs 5, and pick up in verse 12. And say how I've hated instruction, and how my heart despised correction. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ears to those who instructed me. I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. We know David is a man after God's own heart. He's going to regret this if he acted through it. He was going to see this sin over and over again later if he committed it. He was going to regret it. And that's what this, this passage here in Proverbs writes. I hated instruction. I despised correction. I did not obey the voice of my teachers. He was going to be on the verge of total ruin. He's going to remember this. We need to be mindful of not letting someone's little offense cause us to cause greater sin. We want to have the confidence in our lives as Paul had. Look at Paul's confidence 
in 2 Corinthians. And pick it up in verse 12. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we have behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you. We should have that conscience that we have lived a good life. We have served God faithfully. If David had done what he had desired to do, would he have had that conscience? Would he have had that confidence? Think about Nabal's offense compared to what David's going to do. How trivial those words were going to be compared to David's response. Think about what Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6. And we'll read verses 1 through through 8. When one of you has a grievous against another, does he dare go before the law, before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent by trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is none among you who are wise enough to settle dispute between brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer long, wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. What is, what is Paul saying? These earthly matters that you are arguing about are nothing compared to future matters. You're going to judge angels. I really thought about this last week when all I wanted to argue was whether or not a catch on fourth down was complete or not. Does that really matter in the grand scheme of things? No, it doesn't. It doesn't affect my life one way or another. It doesn't affect my salvation. All it does is give me a chance to argue with somebody about something that is meaningless. That's all it does. Something that does not matter. And Carrie's back there smirking at me right now because she said the same thing. This lesson is probably something I should read once a week to remind myself of these things. Notice, again, David's response to Abigail. After all that she has said to him, Then David said to Abigail, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice, and blessed are you, because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed. And from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you have hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning light no males would have been left in a ball. So David received from her hand what she brought him and said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See that I have heeded your voice and respected your person. That is a stark difference from the initial statement from David. Think, think about the change that has happened in David. He went from so angry 
that he was going to murder those people. So what's the first words out of his mouth? Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. He has seen what Abigail has said. He has seen her actions. And he sees that the Lord's at work. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel. That is a very different statement from verses 20 to 22. He seems to be calm significantly. But why? Because Abigail, she immediately got up and went to him. She faced what was coming. And she did so humbly. She didn't have a big head. She wasn't arrogant about it. She was humble before him. She made it right. Again, go to your brethren, especially when you know they're in danger of committing sin. And to finish out this account, we'll read the rest of the, of the six verses. Now Abigail went to Nabal, and there he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. Therefore she told him nothing. Little or much until morning light. So it was in the morning when the wine had gone from the ball, and his wife had told him these things, that his heart died within him, and he became like a stone. And then it happened, after about ten days, that the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. And so David heard that Nabal was dead, and he said, Blessed be the Lord, who has pleaded this cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal. And has kept his servant from evil. For the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. And David sent and proposed to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her, saying, David sent us to you to ask you to become his wife. Then she arose, bowed her face to the earth, and said, Here is your maidservant a servant to wash the feet of your servants of my Lord. So Abigail rose in haste and rode on a donkey, attended by five of her maidens, and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. As we go through this, as we look at this account, we see the foolish words that leads to anger. We see the intent of David's heart was to murder Nabal's whole house. And we see what can turn away anger. Humble pleading by someone who didn't have any cause in this. She didn't revile David. She wasn't evil toward David. Her husband was. But she went to David and handled the problem. I encourage us as we go throughout this life, and we have brothers and sisters who fall away, that we go to them humbly and hastily, that we mind them who they serve, who they should be serving, how great our God is and how great his love is. If you're sitting in these pews today and you have something against your brother or your sister, go to them. Settle it. 
No better time than today. Do it humbly, but do it fast. If you have something that prevents you from being right with God today, we ask you to come forward humbly, but fast. And if you're not yet a Christian, we ask you also, come up here, confess Christ, repent of your sins, and be baptized. We ask you to come so, as we stand and sing the song that's been selected. Jesus.